Today, let's ask some questions about Jonah chapter three. Today, I am back with David Oss Redcar recording on the podcast for the Jonah Summer Series, and we are on chapter three of Jonah, episode number four. Chapter three, if you're here with us now, I'm sure you've listened to the prior episodes. If you haven't yet, go back and listen to us cover the introduction and other chapters. I'll try not to recap too much for you, but um, we are loving this book. It's so good. It's like my new favorite in so many ways. I am delighted when I read the pages of this book and it's pretty short. So like the other ones, we're packing a lot into 10 verses what's happening, but we see God's love and his compassion for people and his desire for them to repent from their evil ways, to stop harming others, but also to turn to him and uh, to have healing in, in him in so many ways. So we look at that. We also look at some of the technical nerdy things again in this about the king, about the city, about some maybe critiques that historians, secular historians may have about this story, uh, why we disagree and agree with some of them, and maybe some of the opposing arguments, and also God changing, well, we, we discussed, does God change his mind? Does he not? God relenting from destroying Nineveh? That presents a lot of questions for us as believers and about God's character. Does he change his mind? What does prayer do? So we're going to attempt to not answer, but address some of those questions as well. So here we go, Jonah episode number four, chapter three. Hey, David, how's it going? Great, Carly. How about you? Good. I'm glad that well, we're recording on a Friday. This will come out on a Thursday in a couple of weeks from now, but I'm very glad that it's Friday and we have a, a yes. three-day weekend, four-day weekend. Yes, same here. That feels very good. So we're finally on Jonah chapter three. Um, this is, I feel like, where a lot of action happens. A lot of action has been happening, which is interesting because, uh, like you were saying in the very first episode, these are really short chapters. They're, they're mm -hmm. you know, 10 to like 17 verses. And there's so much happening. And this is kind of another one where it's like the narrator almost nonchalantly is like, then this happened. And then a whole group of people got saved and then a city repented. And, and you're like, wait, <laughs> yeah. wait, 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 I want the details on this. And we kind of don't get that here as well. It's like very, you know, we're getting the general idea and that's about it. But um, as with all the chapters that we've looked at, there are still a lot of questions to be asked here and a lot of different ideas and opinions and things about what the text means, what, um, what's happening, and still we, we're getting the same message overall, and this is where we really start to see the power of the gospel. Well, I mean, obviously this is not, it's not yeah. Jesus dying on the cross, but the power of yeah. the, you know, the love of God and the way that he saves and um, the context of that in the Old Testament, but also we start to see a little bit of Jonah turning maybe back to the old Jonah, because last time we saw, like, wow, he really changed, and he really is a prophet, and he's doing these great things, and maybe we're kind of seeing his attitude, like, Where? and there could be many reasons for that, um, but it, it starts out the same way that Jonah chapter one started. Um, we don't get the background on Jonah, but it says, the word of the Lord came to Jonah a second time, get up, go to the great city of Nineveh and preach the message that I tell you. And verse three says, Jonah got up and went to Nineveh according to the Lord's command. So I've seen a lot of people um, ask, where did he get, where did he get vomited? Where did the fish vomit <laughs> Jonah? And it yeah. seems like for some reason, everybody assumes Joppa. And I don't really understand why. Yeah. Um, I haven't had a chance to, this is, I feel bad in some ways because this is the one that I've had probably the least amount. This chapter is the one I've had the least time to study for. But my guess would almost just be that it's almost kind of like God's hitting the reset button. It's like, well, that's mm. where you started. So mm. here you go. Yeah. Uh, and, and the fact that Nineveh is such a landlocked country, uh, you know, if you look at a map compared to Israel, um, right. you know, it's way up in kind of like modern day, I think it's Iran. And uh, is it Iran or Iraq? I can't remember which one. I think Iraq. Um, okay, Iraq. Okay, one of those ones, but <laughs> way out, way out in land. Yeah. And um, so there's really nowhere close. He'd have to be dropped off on the coast anyway. So right. um, definitely could be there, or it could just be the random middle of nowhere. Yeah. <laughs> I'm assuming yeah. God probably dropped him off somewhere close to people so he could get some supplies and get ready for his trip but 
you never know. <laughs> yeah, I mean, we really don't have we really don't have anything about that. It's just really everyone is wildly speculating. But I do, I mean, I guess that's a good assumption. Um, and maybe also because sometimes in scripture, it seems like when you see a repetition that indicates certain things. So maybe because it started the same way, maybe that means, like you said, like it's just a hard reset on it all. And so, yeah. But I mean, that's a very minute detail in, the, in this story. But um, that's where we left off was all we knew was Jonah was inside of a fish of, of an undetermined species and <laughs> also he might have died we don't know and then he got mm -hmm. vomited <laughs> that was kind of like mm -hmm. the, the basic outline of last time so somehow yeah. he gets to Nineveh so he would have even like you said even if this big fish vomited him like closer he still would have had quite a journey so if he left oh, yeah. from Joppa it would have been like a month so this was not like a quick turnaround like like he just was there the next day and you know and and it happened in a really quick timeline yeah for sure yeah i i tend to think that it's just god is kind of resetting the the story because if you read the first couple of verses of chapter three and chapter one they're almost identical right except it's the second time saying yeah. rise go to nineveh and right and he actually listens yeah, yeah, we finally get to Nineveh in this chapter. Like, right. <laughs> this whole travel condensed to like two words. He got to Nineveh. Actually, and that's where the story through. picks up. Yeah. And um, this is something that I've heard quite a few people talk about. So I listened to, I read a lot of commentaries about this, but I listened to quite a few different podcasts and like, you know, I always say that I really like to listen to people on a lot of different sides of the issue and just, just to get feelers out and hear their perspective. So what I, what I commonly saw was um, something that everybody brought up and they interpreted this differently, but uh, it says, I'm trying to find the verse. Um, I have it down here somewhere, but it says that the Jonah's walk through Nineveh would have been three days. Uh, the text says that it says uh, yes. like his journey would be three days so that's really interesting because we know based on the archaeology Nineveh is actually a pretty well preserved place mm -hmm. and also uh, there's just a lot of ancient cities um throughout the Assyrian empire throughout the Babylonian empire even and just like in the middle east we have a lot of really well preserved cities and and if not we have really good archaeology or documentation of how large they were. And we know that there weren't cities at this time in the ancient world that were large enough to be three days, like a three-day walk through or walk around. It would have had to have been probably around 60 or 70 miles for that to be the case. So there's different interpretations of this because it doesn't, it doesn't give us a specification of the Jonah walks, like it doesn't say he walked around the perimeter for three days or he walked straight through it. It doesn't, it doesn't say that. Um, I thought it was interesting. Some people were trying to justify, were trying to say, oh, this is historically documented. Don't worry about it. They didn't leave any citations. Like I saw that in the MacArthur Study Bible um, that, you know, it would require three days to get around it. And the dimensions are confirmed by historians is what it says. Well, that's, that's not actually true because that's not the case. Um, we don't have, yeah, we don't have documentation noticed, for that. I've noticed that with him sometimes that the he kind of quotes himself on stuff. Yeah, <laughs> they're like, don't, don't worry about the research, just trust me. Um, Encyclopedia Britannica says, uh, from the ruins, it has been established that the perimeter of the great Assyrian city was about 7.5 miles, so 12 kilometers long, and in places up to 148 feet, which is 45 meters wide. And there was also a great unfinished outer rampart protected by a moat, and the Quashar River flowed through the center of the city to join the Tigris on the western side of it. Um, and also this is, Nineveh was a long lasting city. So there were, there were different time periods in the Assyrian empire that this was an important city. Um, so this is a very particular part of time um, where the, you know, the city was finished and expanded. But for some people, they look at this detail and they feel like this invalidates the story. So a lot of secular historians are like, this can't be true. Of course, we know that this isn't how big it is. So this is all, you know, this is all nonsense. But um, within, you know, people who, who believe scripture and who believe uh, in one way or another, whether this is, you know, a parable, 
uh, understanding of it or the literal understanding of it, that there's an explanation for this. So um, some people believe that this is specifically why it must be a parable, like this extravagant language, uh, or sometimes a common understanding is because it's not telling us he just, you know, he took a certain path. It might have just taken him a minute to share this message with the whole entire city because it was a pretty good sized city for the ancient world. And so he probably, it could have been just sharing with as many people as possible and they could have been sharing and sharing because we know that this word got to the king. So yes. Jonah might have gone, you know, he might have gone directly to the king. We don't know. Um, it would have probably taken time to do that uh, one way or another. It doesn't tell us that he shared this message multiple times specifically, but it, it's assumed that as a prophet, he was sharing a message with the people um, per God's instruction that that probably happened. He probably didn't just like stand on a box in one corner of the city and say his message once and then wrap it up. You know what I mean? Yeah, for sure. And two, um, I know that I've looked at some different sources that have talked about um, a lot of cities just in ancient history, not just then, but even, you know, last several hundred years, um, there could have been more to it than just the city proper. There could have been mm -hmm. outlying towns and villages as well. Um, yeah. That could yeah. be an explanation. Uh, you know, we're going to be, I'm taking some teenagers down to Cleveland this week. Uh, to, for a little bit of a missions trip. And we're not going to be in Cleveland the whole time. We're going to be like kind of the greater Cleveland area. Um, but I still call it Cleveland. So, yeah. I mean, that could yeah. be a simple logical thing. Or, yeah, I think even just the idea of that Jonah was kind of just like sn snaking his way through the city, talking with people and doing things. Um, <clears throat> yeah, I don't, to me, it's not that big of an issue. Um, yeah. Do I think it was this, you know, archaeology is not saying that it's a big, big, massive city. I don't think that that necessarily disagrees with the Bible, um, depending on how you look at how you travel that. <laughs> yeah. Because if you're going back and forth like this the whole time, that can really add up the steps. So. Right. And it would be weird if he went and then like just stood on a soapbox in one place and said it and then just walked around the city. Like that would be a really weird thing to do. <laughs> I mean, Joan was weird, so maybe. But well, <laughs> I don't think he wanted to mess it up this time either. Um, yeah. Yeah. <laughs> I don't think he wanted to be accused by God of like, well, hey, you know, you didn't quite do it again. Yeah. It's like, no, yeah. hey, I told everybody. There's no excuse. I told right. them all. Even if it's the worst sermon ever, he did He did say it. He did cover his faces in that sense. Um, and we see that at work. So, yeah, I, I agree that it's... Um, there's some some things like this it's kind of like LA like people say LA and they're like you know an hour away from the center of Los Angeles but we call it like the greater Los Angeles area that's that's yeah. common with a lot of places I don't I'm not familiar with the like the ancient geography of um you know in this specific time period of like what was happening in the cities around but the Assyrian Empire was a humongous empire so there were yeah. a lot of people that were a part of it and a lot of cities that were a part of it and, and, you know, villages and, um, not city in the proper sense. So mm -hmm. that's, there's definitely a possibility. And I think sometimes people, like I've heard a critique from secular readers or historians or scholars that they feel sometimes Christians in this sense that they mm -hmm. have to like, you know, almost manipulate scripture to say like, well, you know, it says this, but it means that. And I think it, this feels to me like very common sense yeah. um, interpretation. I don't think this is like a twisting or manipulation of it. It's just, it's just the way that people uh, talk and the way that people write. And especially in an ancient context, we have to interpret it through that lens as well. But, um, but we do that in our, in our modern language often, whether we're using hyperbole or, um, like, you know, the, we say LA and we mean, you know, somewhere down here. Um, yeah, I don't, I, I've heard a critique, a lot of the, um, like, I was, I was reading a lot of different articles about this and trying to figure out who the king was at this time, who would have been the king of Assyria. And that was a common uh, theme that I was hearing from secular people. Yeah. Yeah. And that is one thing I think we do need to be careful with sometimes uh, as Christians when we study the Bible, that we don't always try 
to force an answer in to where there doesn't need to be one. Yeah. But that we should be willing, you know, it talks about in the New Testament, you know, we should always be willing to give an answer for the hope that lies within us. So I don't think it's wrong to try and explain things, but yeah, when you take those and try to be dogmatic, you know, and say, well, these unnamed historians say that the, the city really is that big. Okay, you know, maybe maybe you shouldn't do that. <laughs> yeah. <laughs> um, I get it, you know. Right. But yeah, like you're saying, I don't think it's that uncommon. It, it fits the narrative still, you know, because I think when you start explaining things and it's like, well, now you're kind of getting weird. It's like, mm -hmm. that doesn't make any sense. That doesn't fit with what's going on here. You see the number of people that would have that easily would have taken him three days to talk with all those people. Like, totally. I think, it, I think in chapter four, it mentions like 120,000 people or something to that nature. Like, it's a lot of people. Um, you know, 40,000 people a day. Uh, that's a lot. You know, the city I live in is like 50,000. So that's I don't even know if I couldn't even do that in a day. So, yeah. And we think of cities, we're thinking like, oh, there's a house here and like a, you know, an apartment building and everyone has their own separate space. And then we know when we look back in specifically like Near Eastern and Middle Eastern ancient households, there was a lot of people living in homes oh, yeah. together as sharing spaces, especially like in the um, Hebrew Israelite culture specifically, yeah. there was a lot, but that was really common is that everyone mm -hmm. was all up in everybody's business. So even though it wasn't huge, it would make sense. There was a lot of people packed in there. Yeah, you, or you go to the the Walmart bazaar, and there's a couple thousand people out shopping, and yeah, <laughs> you know, you talk to them, and you know, it's not that uncommon. But too, right. he didn't have sound systems, so he would right. have had to go around and talk with all these people at a fairly close, uh, fairly close range. Um, I'm sure, you know, being in a whale, dying, resurrecting, you know, <laughs> however you want to take it, I'm sure his voice wasn't like you know tip top like it could have been so also like a month's journey he was probably like yeah probably a little worn after that I didn't even think of that which is so dumb of me but I didn't even think like oh wow that would be really difficult when I'm like you're not mic'd up or you don't have you know like a bullhorn or something that would actually be pretty difficult yeah my my voice gets tired after like a Sunday morning of like you know an hour or so of singing and talking and things but yeah preaching for three at least three days straight, possibly more. Um, yeah, it took a while, I'm sure. <laughs> yeah, that's, that's, that's so funny that I never, I never thought of that. But um, yeah, I think that to, like we've been, we've been saying this whole time, sometimes we get caught up on the details. I think a good example oh, yeah. of maybe trying to manipulate, and, and I don't think, um, I think his name was Rabbi Rashi. Remember we shared that like weird theory of like the vomiting into the this other fish. This fish. <laughs> she was pregnant and then just like weird stuff. I appreciate the creativity because I think it's good for us as believers to like dialogue about just something we just don't, like we don't know. At the end of the day, we don't know. If I go to heaven um, and God said your theology is wrong on this, I would say, well, I probably knew that. Like I probably knew going into this. <laughs> Uh, I wasn't 100% correct because how, like, I just don't know what happened. Why did it, why did it go from male to female to male? And it could be the womb thing. Who knows? But maybe, um, maybe he's the only one who's right. Who knows? Yeah, exactly. We, none of us could be correct. Or maybe that weird vomiting thing is right. And we're all on the wrong page. But um, I think it's good for us to like be creative and dialogue and it's, and it's fun, I think too. But yeah, um, I think it's good for us to also not be anti-intellectualist in the sense that we're like, well, this is, you know, this is what it says. And so I'm turning off everything in the same respect. We don't base our beliefs off of science because we're basing it off of the one true Holy scripture. So it's like, I just don't think, I don't think that we have to be so crazy in the way that we try to make it fit because sometimes yeah. we don't really understand what it's trying to like the puzzle even is and we're trying to make this puzzle piece fit and that's not even what needs to be there you know like we don't even understand the big picture and we're yeah. trying to force our own ideas to make sure that it makes sense and um I, I just don't think this is a this is a detail that invalidates this story in any sense I agree I actually just heard I was listening to um, did you ever listen to the Mars Hill podcast? Did you guys listen to that? 
No, no, I, I don't think I'm familiar with that. Um, it's a podcast by Mark Cosper for Christianity Today, and it's called The Rise of Rise and Fall of Mars Hill's Church. It's a really, really fascinating series. Wow. It's it's a pretty long series. He did it for like six months, and now uh, oh. it ended like December, and he's putting out some more episodes after the fact and like um, some interviews, and he did one with Tim Keller. And on a totally, totally different topic, it was like church planting and not having accountability and all of this stuff. But I just wrote down this quote and um, he, Tim Keller was quoting Blaise Pascal, who was like a French mathematician and theologian. Um, and he has uh, a book and I can't remember because the name of it is in French, but he uh, has like this famous Ponce Ponce 187. And it says, show them Christianity is respectable, then that it's desirable. So they wish it was true, then show them that it's true. And I thought that was so, such a good quote. And I'm sure that that's like a really condensed version of what he actually said, um, being translated from French. But just to show them, like, we don't have to deny the facts or science or geography. Um, yeah. We can show them that we're respectable and we can have respectable debates. Or you could point out the, the flaws in my argument and vice versa. Um, and that sometimes is really, I think, especially in our day and age, that's really desirable to some people because we're not just like going in with blinders on and we're not just saying, well, agree with me or go to hell. You know what I mean? Like there's literally, yeah. like, I mean, in a literal sense, like you either oh, agree with this yeah. track or you're falling off and backsliding. And I, yeah, I, I thought about that as I was going over this a little bit and there's a lot of people in America, like, especially kind of the hero preacher people who kind of have built their little followings. And yeah, um, I think we even referenced one earlier, but um, basically that, yeah, I, the whole rabbit trail, but basically I studied the life of David recently and looked at uh, his interactions with Absalom. And that's a whole other story in Second Samuel. But there's this one character in the story, his name's Ahithophel. He was a, a political advisor. And there's a verse about him that says that uh, in his counsel was like the voice of God. And that's how they believed him. It doesn't say that it was God or that it was even from God, but people just like, whatever he said, they're like, oh, wow. Yeah, that's... And I think we need to really be careful. We need to remember, hey, we're not that. Yeah. <laughs> we're not yeah. God. Uh, you're not God, you know, that, that guy's not God. Yeah. And, you know, we need to be careful with, yeah, kind of what you're saying, that we are open to talk about things. And there's certain things that it's just, the Bible's really clear. This is exactly what happened. And then there's other things that it's like, well, we're not so clear, but my opinion isn't necessarily the truth. It's based on what I think is the truth, but yeah, we need to not act like our voice, the voice of God, and speak for him. Right. <laughs> Job's and, friends right. tried to do that, and God did not appreciate it. <laughs> and two, it's important to distinguish, like, hey, my, I'm pretty sure, you know, if you're just, like, so certain that your theory is correct, to just distinguish, like, this is my opinion. I'm pretty sure it's 100% on track, but it's yeah. also just my opinion. So let me clarify. Yeah. A caveat. Yeah. Sorry. Yeah. You read this book or write this sermon or whatever. Yeah. Um, exactly. I, wrote, I wrote down the NA, NRSV cultural background study Bible. It's the same study Bible. They just have different uh, versions of it. And it says the size of Nineveh is expressed in terms at, uh, in terms of the time that it would take Jonah to carry out his assignment. He's not circling the circumference of the walls, but it's going to all the public places of the city to make his prop proclamation. His itinerary would have included many of the dozen gate areas as well as several of the temple areas. There would have also been certain times during the day where a significant announcement could be made. Mm -hmm. um, so what is, if you want to, if you're, if you're into ancient geography, you can look up uh, different renderings of the city of Nineveh. Again, you have to look at this kind of specific time period, and we'll talk about what that is in a minute. But um, you can look and you can see there's some crazy architecture that still exists. Um, I believe some of the walls, as, as far as I understand from what I was reading, they're still standing. They're huge walls. Yeah. And also there's some um, remnants of temples, or you can, you know, look at different ancient artifacts and or look at other ancient Assyrian cities and kind of get an idea of what it would have looked like um, and kind of, you know, make a decision on what you think about that. But 
also to understand the culture too, I think is important that like there was, you know, because people didn't have social media and they didn't have a newspaper or uh, like they weren't watching the seven o'clock news on CBS. So there were certain times of the day where you would be like listening, like, okay, something, you know, if there's anything important, Joey's going to hop up and let us know at five o'clock or, you know, whatever it would have been. So yeah. um, I'm sure Jonah utilized that. And it's interesting to think too, he might have been visiting those temple places, which, which would make sense. Um, yeah. It would have been really gutsy of him. Like we, we've been saying, these are some crazy, crazy people that had some really Big harsh hurt. punishments. So it would have been really gutsy to, to go and do that, which could have been his, his hesitation or maybe why his, his sermon was uh, brief, but. Yeah, for things, sure. Things to think about. Hey friends, I have an exciting opportunity opening up for you. So if you love Ask the Question, and if you love the regular episodes, they'll be coming back in the fall. After we finish with our summer series podcast, we'll be having new guests and new questions. And I have the privilege of having some amazing friends with some great perspectives, different areas of study that maybe they have some expertise in or that they've been trained in professionally or who are pastors, people who have great ideas who can engage in debates in a loving, kind way that really uh, not just resembles, but imitates Christ. And so I love having conversations with them. A lot of them don't love to be on camera, so the podcast situation is not really right for them. So I'm opening it up. If you have an idea for a podcast, um, specifically one that you would like to be on or you think that you would do really well in this kind of setting, um, in an open setting where we love scripture, where we love the Bible, we love Jesus, we believe it with all of our hearts, but we want to be honest and ask real questions about it and leave room for disagreement and leave room for maybe some ways that we're trying to make the Bible fit into a particular box or a particular puzzle, and that's just not where it is, and we're, we're open to hearing about that and discussing it. So if that's something that would interest you or someone that you know, and you have their permission, then go ahead and go to carlycleveland.com. So C-A-R-L-I-E, clevelandlikeohio.com. You can go to the podcast tab on the menu, scroll all the way down, and there's a place to submit if you would like to be on the podcast or if you have someone's permission that you know, and they would make a really good fit. So think about what I do well in front of a camera. If a lot of people will listen to this and it's going to be on the internet forever, am I okay with that? Uh, different things like that. If you're comfortable engaging in a conversation over Zoom, um, then this would be great for you. And if you even have an idea, maybe you don't want to be on a podcast, that's not for you, and that's totally okay. You can still go on and maybe submit some kind of idea that you have for a question that we could ask about scripture, about the Bible, and maybe see some different ways that we agree or disagree and uh, still come back to the same place of loving God and scripture. So we would love to have your engagement. So I'm excited to see what happens. Print five. Okay, so this was the verse that I was just looking for. So Jonah 3 verses 4 through 5 says, Jonah set out on the first day of his walk in the city and proclaimed, in 40 days Nineveh will be demolished. Then the people of Nineveh believed God. They proclaimed a fast and dressed in sackcloth from the greatest of them to the least. So that's pretty, that's a pretty crazy two verses of scripture that um, they listened. <laughs> yeah. I'm sure, like, like we were just saying, it would have been a wild thing First of all, to just like go there as a, a person who belongs to a different religion and a different people group to these yeah. like really violent, well-known um, masters of like war and torture. And then to also just say, hey, you're all going to die in 40 days. Um, okay, cool. And then, <laughs> and then just like, you're pro I'm sure that he was expecting death. I'm, I'm sure he probably was, was thinking they're going to be had me and skin me alive or something. So yes. the fact that they didn't do that and that they believed God, the people of Nineveh, it, it seems like at least um, just from kind of like taking this verse as it is, it seems like the whole city kind of got on board and said, yeah, we, we all believe this, this God all of a sudden. It, and it doesn't just say like the people of Nineveh were afraid or they were thinking, oh my gosh, we have to somehow appease him because that would have been really on par for especially ancient Assyrian religion. We kind of talked about that with the pagan sailors, like um, they probably were Phoenicians or Egyptians, so a little bit different uh, religiously, but the same kind of theme throughout 
ancient history, aside from scripture, aside from the Hebrew God, um, there was this really common practice or common belief that like you had to basically, you're making deals with gods. So it was like, I can appeal or um, I can do something to kind of like set your wrath back, but I have to do some kind of sacrifice or ritual and that's going to change your mind. Uh, or if I don't do that, then I have to pay this price. And if I make you unhappy or like, it was very much a game and just kind of hoping that your gods didn't destroy you in the end. And obviously we know that's a big contrast to Yahweh, to the, the God of scripture, but it's interesting because they don't really react um, we, we see the king has some thoughts and some practices that he puts in place for everyone, but it's like they, they just believe God. They just, especially because yes. Jonah's not specifying a lot. So that, <laughs> that gives us some things to unpack in this specific place. So mm-hmm. doesn't, I, I'm sure, I can't say I'm sure because I'm not sure, but it seems like he probably would have maybe given some more details if they asked and maybe said something about Yahweh, about Elohim, and uh, given some given some more details about that. But it seems like he doesn't really mention God. So it could be maybe they connected, like, this is a message coming from this prophet, so we should repent or, like, um, we should pray to or be changed for his God, not ours, like, it's his God who's yeah. going to destroy us. So maybe it's his God that we need to um, direct our lives towards. Uh, but either way, it kind of seems like Jonah just really doesn't want to add more details than necessary. Like, I'm checking off the list. I'm making sure I'm doing what God tells me. He can't tell me I didn't do it. But yeah. maybe I don't need to, like, really dive deep here. Yeah. And I, I think that that's a good explanation, too. Uh, just having been a preacher. Um, when you give a message, you get questions, and I don't think it would have been uncommon for them to be like, well, what are we supposed to do? You know, who are you talking about? Right. But it is interesting that the recorded message of Jonah, you know, the, you know, the words we actually have there, you know, he says in chapter two, oh, God, I make this vow. I'm going to preach the message that salvation is of the Lord. You know, this mm-hmm. really pot, short but very positive message. Mm-hmm. And here... He's kind of doing a, a negative side of that message. It's like, well, <laughs> that's going to destroy you. Yeah. And they're like, well, what are we supposed to do? Like, <laughs> Right. And um, I think, yeah, it was kind of like minimal effort. I don't really care. <laughs> don't really want to be here. Um, here you go. And maybe, you know, because there were so many people, he justified it. Like, well, you know, there's a bunch of people, so, huh? 40 days, you're going to die. Got to go to the next group. Like, Wait, what are you talking about? Don't leave. Like, yeah. And that could have um, been maybe why it took longer because he was actually having some dialogue or expanding a little bit. Yeah. 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 And um, yeah, so we'll get into the rest of it too. I think that that adds a little credence to like, you know, why did they all wear sackcloth? Why did they all do that? Because mm-hmm. that was a really Hebrew thing to do. So you read the Old Testament, they yeah. You're doing that all the time. So, right. And like, like you're saying, this is not really, uh, not really practice we know of outside of the, the people of Israel. It wasn't a thing that other people in the ancient world were doing. So it could be that Jonah was explaining to them, like, hey, this, at least this is a way that we repent. Not that it's like some kind of legalistic system where it's like, in order to appease Yahweh, you must dress in sackcloth. It seems like it was, it seems like it was very sincere. And we're going to look at what the, the king said specifically um, uh, in a couple points, but that that would make sense that he kind of addressed if they said, "Okay, like, what do we need to do? We want to we want to repent. We want to change. Um, what should we do?" And then he would say, "Well, this is what we do." So, and also yeah. it it reminds me of um, well, of course we can see through this message. God can use anyone, and God can do anything, and His message is going to get across. And the the message of the grace and love of God can surpass any of our human efforts, which is a great news for all of us. But it reminds yeah. me of modern kind of like brimstone hell and hellfire and brimstone teachers. Yes. You start out with like, yes. you're going to burn in hell, but you can decide that's where <laughs> like, if you go home tonight and you die on the freeway, which I think there's ways to present that a little bit better, a little less harsh that align more <laughs> scripturally. Um, yes. <laughs> fair question to ask where are you gonna go if you die but uh 
yeah, I think that we see a little bit of that today of like starting out with the, with the death and the, you know, you're all going to burn. So you better change your minds. Yeah. And I grew up in uh, very much that sort of style of preaching, um, like screaming, yelling, you know, slam in the pulpit, you know, that kind of typical fire and brimstone sort of thing. And I would agree. I think Jonah is, um, but I don't think he's doing it in a way, opinion here. I don't think he's necessarily doing it in a way that's wanting to be like, you know, trying to possibly emotionally or man manipulate people to like, you know, oh, you really need to change. Yeah. I almost think he's just like, well, that's how it is. Yeah. And we'll see that later as Hi. we study that he wasn't very, he's about the most successful preacher that we statistically that we know of but he's not happy at all with his statistics. So again, yeah. I don't want to give away too yeah. much, but I would say that he's a fire and brimstone, but with very different motives. <laughs> yeah, because it, it seems like the modern preacher who takes that approach, uh, and I remember this even when I was like a camp counselor, like a young kid who probably shouldn't have been counseling <laughs> theologically or otherwise, <laughs> but counseling younger kids, like I'm 14 years old, counseling nine-year-olds or whatever. And um I remember just being so, it was just like this fear, like I'm, and I, it was a genuine fear from a place of love and concern for other yeah. human souls, but it was just like, I have to, I have to share this and it would maybe help if I make it a little bit scarier or if I add some details that maybe aren't yeah. in scripture, but I'm kind of like, it makes sense that hell yeah. would be like this and, and manipulating people to follow or to, to accept the gospel because it was just like, I'm scared that their souls are going to, you know, burn in hell. And there's a whole, yeah. there's a whole nother debate about like what you know eternal conscious torment and annihilationism and uh, oh, a yeah. whole nother thing and a lot of our beliefs about hell and all of that sometimes get away from us and they're based on like um they're based on medieval like art and weird things that aren't scriptural yeah. so we get carried away with that as well which and are those people happen. those people were fire and brimstone people yeah, yeah. They, they tried they literally tried to scare the you know <laughs> in a very sanctified way Way. they tried to scare the, the hell out of people like painting it like on the ceilings of churches and yeah like, like you don't want to be like that little kid burning there forever and right <laughs> yeah yeah but I think you're right that it and, and I don't think we should have a fear um I think it's good and loving of us to care for others souls oh yeah for it, sure also like we don't have to the gospel isn't a fearful thing and it's not something you accept you know we call it like fire insurance it's not like Hey, yeah. at least I won't burn eternally or um, face eternal punishment. But it seems like maybe Jonah's, maybe that's not his approach. It probably just, it's like that, that teenager, like we were saying in the first episode, I think, like he kind of seems like a really, um, like a teenager who just really doesn't want to be there. Like, ugh, whatever, like Napoleon Dynamite is yeah. kind of what I picture. Like, gosh, I just, whatever you guys, you're going to burn. <laughs> and then he like awkwardly runs off the side with his yeah. arms by side. <laughs> That's yeah. Exactly what I yeah. Yeah. He can say, I did it. It wasn't pretty, but mm -hmm. I did it. You can't say I didn't do it. <laughs> yep. Which I guess we have to give him at least credit for that. Um, yeah. So what I thought was interesting, and I saw a couple people, I saw MacArthur actually noted this, and then also um, quite a few Bibles because it's the clearest. Uh, connection, I think, that we kind of look at the 40 days and we see some other connections in scripture, specifically Deuteronomy 9, 18. So a lot of times we see that numbers in the Bible have significance and sometimes a repetition of numbers mm -hmm. can connect us to a prior event. So we see the same number again, and it kind of connects, you know, the author's doing something purposeful, it seems, um, to make us remember something before. So in Deuteronomy 9, 18, and also in Deuteronomy 10, 10, Moses recalls praying to God on Mount Sinai. Um, and it says in 9, 18, I fell down, uh, I fell down like the first time in the presence of the Lord for 40 days and 40 nights. I did not eat food or drink water because of all the sin you committed, doing what was evil in the Lord's sight and angering him. So specifically in chapter nine of Deuteronomy, Moses is reminding the people, he's, he's going through a whole list of different things and saying, hey, remember when this happened? Remember when you rebelled against God? And remember the consequences of those actions? Like we've been through this before. Uh, I want to remind you before we make any decisions. And he reminds them of his prayer of intercession. 
so that God wouldn't destroy the people because God was saying, I have, like God always does, I've given these people chance after chance to repent and to change. And I saved you out of Egypt. And I, you know, we've been through this. They're not changing. So I'm going to destroy them. And, and Moses prays, uh, it says 40 days and 40 nights. And, um, I feel like there's a whole, we could have a whole other conversation about this chapter, but it's, it's a good connection yeah. because it reminds us of Jonah, I think. Um, and not just the number, but just reminds us that this, even though he did it a little bit poorly, or maybe did it kind of begrudgingly, the purpose was to intercede for the people and say, Hey, you know, there's an opportunity to change here. Uh, he didn't do it that well, but, <laughs> um, there's an opportunity to change because, because God is a good God and he doesn't want this for you, but it's on you. Like you have to decide God's, you're not robots and God's not going to force your hand. So it's on you to change your hearts if that's what you want, because God wants that. Yeah, for sure. And yeah, and I see you have all sorts of examples in there about 40 days and, you know, seven is often believed in scripture to kind of be the number of completion. Mm -hmm. Um, I have not heard a whole lot about 40. It definitely shows up a lot, yeah. um, especially with the children of Israel. Um, 40 is like a very big number. And yeah, it, it often comes with, it, it seems to just in, you know, kind of a cursory study often seems to come in God's times of testing or God's times of judgment, um, 40 days. And, uh, you know, Jesus, we do see it. Uh, Jesus, you know, it says in Matthew, I think Matthew 4, that Jesus was tempted in the wilderness for 40 days. Um, <clears throat> so it seems that often time it often come at times of judgment or testing of some sort, but it doesn't seem to be a number that's super significant for us in the church, really. But mm -hmm. definitely for Israel, 40 days seem to be a big, some sort of significance to them. Uh, you know, again, I, I think that most of it is probably literal, but mm -hmm. I'm sure that there is probably some significance that we might even miss not being that today. So yeah, it does. it is a number that shows up a lot, though. Definitely shows up a lot. Yeah, well, that was kind of what I was thinking, and that made me look into other passages because I thought, is this like, and it could be, but it, um, I was kind of thinking, because we're seeing this number, and it doesn't necessarily mean that because we're seeing it multiple times and it referenced, like it's connecting events that it wasn't literal, but I was kind of yeah. wondering, is this symbolic? Um, because there are some theories about that, especially in the Torah, uh, about yeah. a lot of numbers and their significance and what does it mean? Um, but it seems like it's not, we see it other times in significance that aren't related to destruction. Another big example though of like, destruction uh genesis 7 of course the story of noah and the flood so it's yeah. like this act of decreation and deconstruction that's going to happen because the people are so evil and so unrepentant and so god says i'm going to wipe out everything and i'm going to start over because it grieved him so much of the evil that was taking place and he tells and and again we see like i was actually just talking to someone this weekend about this someone who is just really on the fence and has a lot of questions about the Bible because they're like, I want, I really love the gospels. I love what I'm seeing here, but why is God so destructive in the old Testament? And we were talking about how God doesn't allow, well, he does allow evil to happen, but it's, it's not in God's nature and the way that he interacts with his people. He like the Canaanites, um, like Nineveh, he doesn't, he steps in sometimes, he intercedes for people sometimes, and he stops oppression from happening because it's not, uh, I'm trying to think of like the correct wording and I'm, I'm struggling to articulate, but God doesn't stand for oppression of other people or evil being done to other people or especially evil being done to innocent people. And so that was happening and God said this, I'm not going to allow this to happen, I want to start over. So this evil isn't so rampant. And uh, I think that's very similar to the story of Nineveh and it rained for 40 days and 40 nights. And there were some other 40 day significances in that story. Um, I actually wrote in my notes, he tells Moses, but that's not true. He told Noah. I confuse those often for some reason. <laughs> both like water connected, I guess, Moses and the yeah. Bible and Jonah. I mean, um, Noah with the flood. But 
Uh, some other places that I saw that 40 days was significant was Genesis 53. So Jacob's embalming process takes 40 days. So it was a lot of mourning. And it was interesting, a detail I didn't pick up on before, not just, um, not just people who were associated with Jacob or people who were Hebrew people were mourning the death of Jacob, but also Egyptians, which was interesting. But it's also weird because ancient Egyptian embalming took around 70 days. So that's very strange. And it could have, I mean, who knows what was happening there, but that was just a weird, a weird thing, a weird thing to note. And then a lot of times when we see Moses meeting with God, it takes 40 days. Exodus 24, 18, Exodus 34, 28, Deuteronomy 9, 9, 9, 11, 9, 18. And then, like you said, Jesus in the wilderness for 40 days. Um, also M Matthew 4, but also Mark 1 and Luke 4. Yeah. So yeah, it's just a common thing. And we, there's a lot of numbers like that, 12, 7, um, just a lot of repetition. And I think it, I personally think it's a literal documentation, like it's, you know, mm. literally 40 days, but I think either way, it connects us to other events, which help us remind, help us remember the theme of scripture, um, and the common themes that we see, and also God's desire for goodness to be done in the world and him not approving of evil and wickedness towards others. Yeah. And I would definitely just say, yeah, the whole thing about just with evil, you know, God, God never wants evil. God never plans evil, but because God is good and sovereign, he can work through the evil. And yeah. again, that's its whole, that's its own whole other thing. So yeah. I'll just leave it at that. But also with the numbers and stuff, God is a God of order and, you know, world sin, that's all chaos, but God is a God of order. And so it doesn't, at the same time, it doesn't surprise me that you see a lot of repetition of numbers all the way from Genesis to even Revelation, you know, looking to the future with you know, new heaven, new earth and all that stuff. You know, God is a God of order and he does things in an orderly way. So even just for those kind of simple things, I think those are just little things to keep, keep in mind. Yeah. And it's interesting, and I didn't think about this before now, but <clears throat> it's interesting that the Assyrian people in the prophetic books, we see that there's going to be, God's going to use these this evil people because there's a... Um, whether this happened historically or not, there was a time, it seems like there was like a time of not so much aggression towards the people of Israel and kind of like this peaceful time. And then um, Assyria became really violent and there was a downfall and everything. But God used the Assyrian people and specifically told, gosh, I can't remember the prophet Isaiah. I think it was the prophet Isaiah. He was telling the people, your, your deeds are so wicked that I'm going to use this evil nation. Even though they're evil, I'm going to use them to kind of chastise you. Like I'm going to use it to use them to stop your evil from happening, which is interesting. Like you're saying, God can use anybody yeah. to, to do, to complete his plan. Um, yeah. And just this whole it just confirms for us, I think, over and over that we just can't understand God. Like, we really can't understand him. Yeah. And there's just so much happening that we're not even, not even on our radar, because uh, we're just, we're just not God. And um, how could we understand his mind? But, and his, even like a, just a taste of his goodness. But yeah, I think that's, that's interesting when we look in light of this story. Yeah, for sure. So interesting. So the next point that we're going to look at is the king repents. So this is also just not what you expect. It follows the pattern of Jonah over and over again. The characters are opposite. We see this happening. You expect one thing to happen. And you would, I mean, it makes me kind of laugh. And I'm sure the ancient readers would be like, what? Like it's that Saturday Night Live skit thing that we're seeing happen yeah. where everybody immediately listens and they're like, yeah, okay. And the king's like, oh my gosh, we all need to repent. And so Jonah 3, 6 through 9 says, when the word reached the king of Nineveh, he got up from his throne, took off his royal robe, covered himself with sackcloth and sat in ashes. Then he issued a decree in Nineveh by order of the king and his nobles, no person or animal, herd or flock is to taste anything at all. They must not eat or drink water. Furthermore, both people and animals must be covered with sackcloth and everyone must call out for a call out earnestly to God. Each must turn from his evil ways, from his wrongdoing. Who knows? God may turn and relent. He may turn from his burning rage so that we will not perish. So I saw some people speculating, maybe this is, you know, his call for action and 
not just call for action, but kind of putting in place essentially a law that every person mm -hmm. and animal, they are required to abstain from food and water. They all have to wear sackcloth. They all have to call for forgiveness. They must repent. Um, mm -hmm. It could be that he's kind of trying to appeal to like the Assyrian religious way of thinking, like we have to do these things. But it seems, at least in my interpretation of it, it seems pretty sincere because the king yeah. doesn't even seem to know for certain that God will relent. Like he doesn't even know. Yeah. He's saying, maybe, I don't know. But yeah. we all need to repent. And it seems to indicate that genuine trust in God. And, you know, either way, at least we're trusting God. Maybe he won't destroy us physically. Mm -hmm. Yeah, and um, something too, um, I almost pointed out earlier, but when I was doing this study, because yeah, a lot everyone's like, wow, you know, that's a lot of people. Why was it so successful? Um, I, I believe this is from Halley's Bible Handbook or Haley, however you want to pronounce it, but um, they had cited some older sources uh, or pulled out from some older sources the fact that if you uh, if you put Jonah at a later date for when it took place um that I forget I, all those Assyrian kings had really weird names and I don't I'm not even going to try to remember what the guy's name was but supposedly during one of those guys reigns that uh, at Nineveh there actually had been some kind of supernatural things before then I believe it was like in the seven 50s BC or something like that. Uh, there was like a a meteor and then a plague or two. And so if that if that is the case, you know, those happened later date for Jonah. Mm -hmm. Jonah shows up and says, "God is mad with you." And they're like, "Oh, maybe God is mad with us because all these things keep happening." <laughs> um, <clears throat> again, I yeah, I, I believe that was. Uh, Halley's Bible handbook over the book of Jonah kind of mentioned some of those things. Uh, and I apologize, I don't have all the exact information, but that's what I remember the general part of it was. So uh, that could have, could be a possibility why they're like, whoa, you know, stuff is going on. Yeah. <laughs> kind of like when 2020 happens, you know, people who weren't religious were like, whoa, something's going on because there's yeah. all the things happening. Yeah. <laughs> and what's um, happening? this guy comes up preaching it and they're like, whoa, we need to change. Yeah. I think I have a lot of notes um, about the king because there's some interesting things about him, but I wonder if you're talking yes. about, there's, uh, in, I, I think he is a journalist, Mark Madrigal. He proposed an idea in an article about this topic for the Evangelical Focus um, site, Evangelical Focus Europe. He says, Jonah's mission to Nineveh may have occurred in the reign of Adad Nirari, please forgive my Assyrian pronunciation, the third, and may have had something to do with his decision to abandon old gods and serve only one deity. So I wonder, I, I don't know what um, Haley's Bible commentary, what their specific proposal yeah. is for that, but that, I think that's probably one of the best, if it fits in that timeline, maybe or if that's a you know a king yeah. um maybe even who was a successor of of this king or you know something yeah. like that happened i think that's one of the best evidences that this would be historically accurate um mm -hmm. i'm not married to the idea that it was a uh, parable i were i'm like casually dating yeah. that idea so it could be yeah. <laughs> historically <laughs> accurate but i think that's probably a, a really good point for why it would be yeah yeah so and that is kind of the interesting thing too. Yeah. It, you know, for, cause that's one thing I, I read one guy who was making fun of the whole sackcloth thing and people repenting. Uh, he, he basically said, if you take a literal interpretation of this, you're a moron was basically his art article. <laughs> and it's like, well, actually, if you do, you're not trying to manipulate things. You're just looking at history and sources. Oftentimes you will see the Bible pretty much lines it's you know history lines itself up with the bible not that people would say that but as we believe god's word yeah a lot of times it falls in pretty much how it kind of describes it <laughs> yeah and and there's like a lot of different timelines that people have proposed for scripture and uh, yeah. I don't even think it really has to do much with like, you know, old earth creationism or anything. It could, because everyone yeah. pretty much agrees on when the start of humanity was um, historically, but 
you know, people have been around probably six to 10,000 years, what everybody kind of kind of comes yeah. to agree on. So there's not too much variety in that. Um, yeah. But yeah, that it, again, we see, we kind of talked about the sackcloth thing, but it would make sense to, you know, word got to the king. So yeah. seems like Jonah didn't directly go and talk to him. Maybe he did, doesn't seem like it, but he adopted that practice as well of um, the Hebrew, you know, signs of repentance and mourning and fasting. Mm -hmm. for sure so the weird thing that's here is that Nineveh is a city not a country so yes. the text doesn't specify this king is the king of Assyria it says the king of Nineveh this could be a semantics thing like we could be just like totally zoning in on like well it's yeah. the king of Nineveh not the king of Assyria and maybe it's a thing like the whale like the author is saying you know he's writing down what he's thinking um yeah. and it doesn't make it less accurate it's just that he wasn't thinking specifically it's just that there was a king that lived there and he was the king of you know this nation mm -hmm. so this also happens in the exodus story that uh the text says pharaoh you know a king but he's not mentioned by name and it seems weird but uh obviously it wasn't that important because it doesn't say so there's this article called assyria uh, Assyria colon Nineveh. It's from the British Museum. And the author states, Nineveh was the capital of the powerful ancient Assyrian empire located in modern day northern Iraq. Senna, I'm going to butcher this. Sennacherib was the king of Assyria from 704 to 681 BC and was famous for his building projects. Um, and then also I looked at the New World Encyclopedia. It, it's actually their website, newworldencyclopedia.org. It says, first mentioned in ancient texts around 1800 BC, Nineveh became an important trade and religious center and was Assyrian's capital city from the 9th through 7th centuries BC. It was destroyed when the Assyrian Empire collapsed in 612. And um, people kind of collectively agree that Jonah was alive sometime during and around 782 to 753 BC. And that's because yeah. he's mentioned in 2 Kings 14, 23 through 28. So he, it, it would make sense based on who was reigning as king and his prophetic ministry that he would be alive uh, one way or the other around that time. Um, and then I, I, we talked about Mark Madrigal's proposal of maybe it was that specific king added Narari III that would line up with a lot of timelines and that maybe that would explain his, his strange transition from, um, from multiple deities to one deity. Yeah, I think regardless of what view you want to take, it just shows you that there are definite, there are legitimate explanations that could show this isn't that far fetched that the city was like, you know, hey, we need to do something. Yeah, and God used Jonah to do that, and in many ways, kind of condemn Israel for not repenting and their worst enemies repenting, and. Yeah, whole lot of significance with all that thing. God's just at work behind the scenes, behind the curtain, and it, the details are always fascinating. But yeah, and it would make sense historically. It would also line up that this king would live in Nineveh, um, whether or not it was a capital city at the time. Because again, like there's debate about when Jonah was there and when you know if all the pieces have to fit together. But uh, it would make sense that the king would be there. Uh, either be there for one reason or another or living there because it was an important city and a lot of um, trade was happening there and wealth and things like that. So I'm going to try to go through this so fast because we only have a few minutes left. But um, in Jonah 3.10, it says, God saw their actions and they had turned from their evil ways. So God relented from the disaster he had threatened them with and he did not do it. So the, I mean, essentially, of course, we know God's plan's going to work, but God's plan worked, and it's kind of to the surprise of the reader, it almost seems, but, um, you know, it seems like Jonah, and maybe sometimes when you read this story, you would think, these people are so evil and so wicked, so, yeah, they can repent, but God's going to destroy them in the end, like, we know justice is going to prevail in our sense of justice, our, our judgment must be, uh, must be God's, and that's not the case, and so, I wrote down, I wanted to get a couple different takes on this, so I wrote down some different commentaries, and I'm going to try to read them so quickly. The King James Study Bible note says, God did not change his mind in his ultimate intention toward the Ninevites. Rather, they changed in their attitude toward him. On the basis of that change, God could deal with them in grace rather than in judgment, as their failure to repent would have necessitated. The ESV Reformation Study Bible says, the prophetic warning in verse 4 had in, uh, implied 
condition, namely that the judgment was imminent. If the city did not repent in turning from their evil way, the Ninevites met that condition. Lord's change of mind, i.e. his sovereign choice to make his own action depend on human response is fully compatible with God's sovereignty and immutability since he ordains the means as well as the ends of his sovereign will. You can look at Jeremiah 8, 7, uh, 18, 7 through 10, they say, and see their note on Genesis 6, 6. Okay, I just have two more. Bear with me. The NIV Bible Theological, uh, NIV Biblical Theological Study Bible says, God's decision not to destroy the Ninevites parallels the repentance of the Ninevites. Prophetic announcements were meant to produce repentance and lead to forgiveness. Um, they also uh, reference Jeremiah 18. And even Jonah recognizes recognized this in chapter 4, verse 2 of Jonah. Um, last one, the NRSV Cultural Background Study Bible says, when the biblical text insists that God is not one to change his mind, Numbers 23 and 19, 1 Samuel 15, 29, both texts using the same verb, both texts use the same verb as in Jonah 3, 10. It is in the context of covenant agreements, not the outcome of prophetic pronouncements, see Jeremiah 18, 8. Um, they also say, God's action has been translated in various ways. And this is one of the main passages used in discussions about whether or not God can change his mind. In the ancient Near East, gods were erratic and could be managed through various ritual approaches, like we were saying about um, yeah. the Assyrian religion. The gods were believed to have needs. When humans met those needs, they were attempting to soothe the god from any irration and earn God's goodwill. So this opens up a lot of questions that we, of course, won't answer fully because how, how could we wrap that up in six minutes, but also um, there's just so much debate about these topics. And I hear that this, I hear this come up a lot in um, debates about Calvinism. So I, yes. I do not personally identify as a Calvinist, but this comes up and I feel like both sides actually kind of use the same passages in Calvinistic debates. Like we're looking at oh, the same you. verses and interpreting them totally different. Uh, I kind of fall in line with Molinism a little bit more, but um, I think that opens up the question of like, you know, free will and what does that look like? And also prayer. What's the purpose of prayer and why do we do it? That's, that's a common question that many believers and non-believers have. Like, why would we pray if God has everything all figured out? Like, why would we pray if he already knows what's going to happen? Um, it's not going to change anything. I, I remember as a young child thinking that like, why would I pray? It doesn't seem like it's going to change anything. So... <laughs> There's a lot of, there's a lot of questions wrapped up in that one little verse. Um, and I probably won't even come close to answering them at all, but because I still <laughs> ask some of those questions myself. And, yeah. uh, you know, as a, I actually, as a kid, it was easier for me to just be like, oh yeah, I'll just pray and it'll be fine. As an adult, it, it is a little more tricky. And I've had people ask me that question. Why do you even pray? You know, uh, yeah. non-Christian, by the way who is antagonistic for Christians asking that question. <laughs> That's why it was worded that way. Um, and it is definitely, it's a legitimate question. Um, and I would just say that as we look at prayer, you know, Old Testament, New Testament, even just Jesus talking about prayer, you know, he tells us to pray, you know, there's one reason to do it. But then it's just like, well, you know, that almost brings us into the line of, you know, we're just robots that God's telling us to do things. But prayer does have benefits um, because prayer is more than just asking for things. Mm -hmm. <laughs> and I think we often, especially as Americans, forget that because we're just used to this like Santa Claus list of, well, God, I'd like this and this and this and this. And it's more than that. It's communication. Um, it's us talking with God. You look at the Psalms, sometimes he's asking for things and sometimes he's just saying, God, I don't get it. Like Jonah's prayer. <laughs> but, yeah. Yeah. And I think prayer, there are many purposes to prayer. And I do think that God does answers prayer. And that's the confusing part with free will and God's sovereignty. <sighs> do people have free will? Yes. Is God sovereign? Yes. Does God answer prayer? Yes. And I think a lot of times prayer is for us, and you see this in the psalm, and you see it with Christ. We pray things according to God's will. He answers those prayers. And it's us, it's kind of getting us in line to where we're supposed to be. And I think that is a big part of prayer. And yeah, God does change his mind in the sense that 
it was already a possibility kind of and i like the way that they it was explained in some of those like it's not like god saying well i'm gonna crush you you can pray but i'm still gonna crush you right it's like no here's the chance and i want you to take it yeah and it's not really i almost say we use a different word it's not like god's changed his mind like oh yeah what a terrible idea that was it's like no i'm just gonna do you know it's the two options i'm doing this one now yeah yeah and also oh, that probably western, didn't make any sense but that's no it, it totally <laughs> did and also our western way of thinking is like i'm a good christian or i did the th i checked off the list so god will give me yeah. what i want and that's what prayer is and that's obviously not either that is not actually true right <laughs> i have learned that yeah that's a very I'm thinking uh, that modern american western thing but um maybe we can uh we we've opened it up to questions so if you have questions you can ask on um you can ask on the youtube videos you can ask on spotify on instagram um if you're connected on facebook with me then you can ask, ask on facebook as well somehow some way i'm sure you can get a question to us if you have one but maybe that's one uh, next time when we wrap it up we can we can dig into that but i'm excited for next time because chapter four is my favorite chapter because i I have to laugh when I read it. And also it's just like, whoa, God is like, it's so the way that the whole, the whole thing plays out is just like, so, so good. It's so good. I can't even think of the word, but it's just like, wow. Like, uh, it's so cliche, but like drop the mic or whatever. Like it, it seems like that. So <laughs> I'm excited to, to get into that. It's true. I'm looking forward to it too. Well, thanks for having me. I really appreciate it. This was a lot of fun to go over. Yeah, this was a really good chapter. So submit your questions. Keep following. We'll be back for uh, probably, I think we're going to wrap it up next time, one more episode. So we'll see you then. Mm -hmm.